0: Welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolfe. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about in their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name what matters. Hello and welcome. I am so thankful you're joining me for this episode. Today on the Let It Matter podcast, I'm joined by Caitlin Curtis to discuss some of the themes from her new book, Living Resistance, an Indigenous Vision for Seeking Wholeness Every Day. Before we dive in, if you could please take just a moment to pause this episode and hit subscribe or follow wherever you are listening to this podcast, I would appreciate it. And then if you're listening in Apple, if you would leave a rating and a review, it is such a huge help, especially for a uh, just burgeoning podcasts, a new podcast like this one, um, I just would appreciate it so, so much. Now, let me introduce today's guest to you and we will get into it. Caitlin Curtis is an award-winning author, poet, storyteller, and public speaker. As an enrolled citizen of the Potawatomi Nation, Caitlin r- writes on the intersections of spirituality and identity and how that shifts throughout our lives. She also speaks on these topics to diverse audiences who are interested in truth-telling and healing. As an interspiritual advocate, Caitlin participates in conversations on topics such as colonialism and faith communities and she has spoken at many conferences on the importance of interfaith relationships. She is the author of Native, Identity, Belonging, and Rediscovering God, and of course of her new book, as I mentioned, Living Resistance, An Indigenous Vision for Seeking Wholeness Every Day. Besides her books, Caitlin has written online for Sojourners, Religion News Service, Apartment Therapy, On Being, Self Magazine, Oprah Daily, and more. Her work has been featured on CBS and in USA Today. She also writes a substack called the Liminality Journal. Caitlin lives in Philadelphia with her family. Just quickly before we jump in, I do want to give a quick disclaimer. Caitlin writes in this book about really big and important topics like facing our history and decolonization and other major aspects of resistance because of the time limitations on this podcast, we couldn't possibly address those subjects deeply enough to do them justice. So instead of rushing through them or getting just a short soundbite, I just want to implore you to please read Caitlin's books and follow her work and the work of um, of other um, uh, women of color, indigenous women, black women, um, people of color. Just uh, I want to implore you to... Um, to to remember that the reason we're not addressing those things in this podcast is not because um, I'm shying away from them or because I don't believe they matter or are important, but because I believe they matter so much and are so important um, that um, I I don't want to truncate that conversation for you. So let's get into the show. Okay, Caitlin, Curtis, thank you so much for joining me here on the Let It Matter podcast and welcome.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: So first of all, I want to say congratulations to you because I saw yesterday that Living Resistance is a number one bestseller on Amazon in its category, Christian social issues, and for that to be the case three days After being released is a really big accomplishment, and I just want to say congratulations. And I'm thrilled for you about that. Thank you. It's such a a fluctuation
1: of emotions and and ratings. It'll like be there for ten minutes, but it counted, you know. And you're like, you got the screenshot, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's been, and I feel so like supported and loved in this book release. So I'm so just grateful. So and I
0: know I know you released Native out in the middle of. Uh, COVID, Mm -hmm. I think, right? It happened Mm -hmm. right, right around COVID. And so, um, you know, I know this is, that's, it's, it's a whole different process with every book. And so I'm just, I'm thrilled for you to be, um, finding success so early with this one. Um, so as we begin here, um, I've, I have introduced you to, at this point in the episode, I have introduced you to, um, m- to my listeners, and also I've given a disclaimer about how um, in the book you write so thoughtfully about topics that are much bigger than we would have the time to explore in this conversation. And so rather than rush through that or just get a snippet, um, I'm, I just commend people fully to, to the book and to your work and to the work of other, Mm -hmm. um, indigenous folks and, and women of color and things like that. And so, um, So just so people know, this conversation is not just doesn't encompass everything in the book. This is three little snippets um, that I wanted to talk to you about specifically. But um, as we begin here, can you sort of briefly tell listeners the structure, how you structured the book um, and the terms of the four realms and then give like a description of each one?
1: Yeah, um, I I love structure in that way like when i wrote my book native it was centered around the Potawatomi flood story and with this Mm -hmm. book i wanted um i wanted more of a framework something like a visual that people could look at or hold on to um some sort of moving thing that can can guide us and so i Mm -hmm. created this this framework called the realms of resistance and so they go within my book and um and on the cover of the book you'll see them it's this venn diagram of three circles and the Top circle's red, the, the bottom left circle is is brown, and then the right circle is blue. And then you have this gorgeous sort of um, golden yellow overlap in the middle. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, the core of this book is that our resistance is also about our care, our care for ourselves, our care for one another, our care for futures, future generations who come after us, our care for Mother Earth. You know, It's centered around all of that encompassing resistance. So so I wanted it to flow and move. And these circles are not linear. They're cyclical, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So much of our uh, Western thought is that things need to be linear. And we know that they're often not. Our cycles of grief are not linear. Our yeah. seasons, like we live in seasons of the earth that are not linear. Yeah. So in a lot of indigenous thought, we live in cyclical ways. So I wanted to bring that into this book. Um, so the realms, we have... four realms of resistance so the first realm is the personal realm and it's red and this is Mm -hmm. to signify the season of winter it's that hibernating right we go inward Mm. we we look at ourselves we consider our care we consider embodiment we ask are are we loving ourselves well are we Mm. loving ourselves are we resisting a status quo of hustle and self-hatred and the things that we do to our bodies and our our souls so that's that realm is all about this personal space. Right. Mm -hmm. But as many activists and and wise people have said and written about our self-care can't just stay with us. It has to bleed into community. And so the second realm is the communal realm. And it's about things like, um, solidarity and kinship and caring for our children, all our children. Um, and so that realm is Brown and it represents spring and it's this time I imagine of us planting seeds in the dirt, you know, that time when mm-hmm. we're, we're saying these are the things that matter to us and we're going to, we're going to plant this seed and see what grows from it. Yeah. And then you move into the third realm, which is the ancestral realm. So think of it, it's blue representing water, representing this fluidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, this realm may be difficult for people. It may be a little, feel abstract, but I tried to also make it tangible in that, yeah. Our life is this space where we get to consider healing, healing for our ancestors and healing for future generations and asking difficult questions about history and about what our ancestors did and didn't do, who they were, who they weren't. Um, Some of those hard questions, but I think we need to ask them.
0: It was a particularly um, poignant for, for me I'm really into genealogy and where my yeah. family comes from and it's not a real pretty story yeah. <laughs> frankly and and so i've I've been wrestling and not knowing really how to wrestle with some of those questions and I think you you um, did a masterful job for someone who hasn't really I haven't done a lot of ancestral um consideration or work or right. thinking until until recently and so I just want to add that plug there that that it was sort of a new. Uh, a new topic for me to sort of consider. And I think you, you lead us through that really well. Oh,
1: I'm so glad. Thank you yeah. for
0: sharing that. That Continue. does mean a lot.
1: <laughs> and then, yeah. So the, the ancestral realm is so, you know, we think about liminality and mm-hmm. these, these spaces in between that we don't always talk about. And then you move into that center space, which I'm calling the integral realm. So mm-hmm. think of integration, right? So we are yeah. taking everything and this this, um, this last space, the ancestral realm of summertime, when those seeds are growing into those plants and this middle, this middle area, this, this, uh, yellow realm is Mm. autumn. It is the time of harvest. It is, um, represents Shkode, which is our word for fire, right? It's Mm. beautiful, like, like the soul fire, that core of us. And I, and I love that so much. And, And again, these aren't meant to be like, you don't finish in the personal realm and then you move on. We are inhabiting all of these spaces all the time. That's what's beautiful about being human. So that center realm is like, how do we consider lifelong resistance? How do Mm -hmm. we think about prayer? What does dreaming feel like and look like? it's all of that kind of coming together and in consideration of all the other realms. So yeah, I love it. I, I hold it so dear too. to my heart. I hope it helps readers process yeah. resistance in a, in a new way.
0: Yeah. And the, and the way that you talk about the overlap in them was really resonant, resonant too, because there was times I was reading in one realm and I thought, gosh, I can see this so clearly in the other as well. And, um, and I, I live in Texas, and so when you talk, when you mentioned the seasons just now, how the seasons aren't linear, boy, does that resonate? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yesterday it was eighty five degrees here. Today the high is like sixty, but it was forty when I woke up. the The seasons are never linear in Texas. Right. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, lots of other places, it just, that really resonated because there is so much, so much overlap, especially with winter and spring in Texas, where one day it can be 40 degrees and the next day it can be 75. Right. Um, and, and then back. And so, yeah, I, I am so thankful. Thank you for walking us through those. And I, and I want to say also, people obviously can't see us, but this is one of the most beautiful covers. Mm -hmm. um I've ever seen and then on the end pages as well I have the paperback because I got it from your publisher but um the hard uh, the hardback copy that you have the end pages are also sort of illustrated with these themes and um and the art the artwork and and the colors that you mentioned for each of the realms and so it's just um it's a beautiful way I'm still sort of thinking about a conversation I had with Kelly Lattimore recently about how art can you know what we want to put in front of us. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the way that those pages keep in front of us, the themes that you, and the structure that you mentioned in the realms is really cool. Um, okay. So within the personal realm, this is, um, one of the first things I wanted to talk to you about is, uh, one of the ways you suggest we can live resistance is through radical Mm self-love. Um, can you, that can, it can sometimes feel buzzwordy and then nebulous. So we can sort of start to, is that a massage? Is that a mocha latte? Is that,
1: um,
0: you know what I mean? Is it mean spending money? Is it a privileged thing that only privileged people can access radical self love? So can you talk about why that's an act of resistance, first of all, and then how can we embody it practically as we journey, uh, you know, along this road of resistance?
1: Yes. Thank you for asking this. And I write about, um, I write about you know self-care, the problems mm-hmm. with our whole ideas of self-care, even in my book Native. And so I touch on that a little here. But I I wanted to move more into self-love because it is more concrete and yeah. it's more challenging. So even self-care has become a bit padded. Like it is the spa day, which there are many things that are self-care. Has self-care been totally taken over and self-love taken over by capitalism and consumerism? <laughs> yes, it has been mm-hmm. made into a product that... Only those who can afford it can get it. You know, there are things like that. I'm trying to approach it differently. And I'm trying to especially approach it from an embodiment lens. um, Because I'm someone who struggles with embodiment. I struggle with anxiety. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of things that I was very honest about in this book. Yes. And I wanted to start right away with some of those ideas. So, you know, I have a a chapter on presence, a chapter on self-love, a chapter on embodiment. Mm -hmm. And each of those go together, you know, they all affect one another. And, um, for example, you know, coming to terms with my own anxiety and asking it questions. And I even have an essay in the book describing what it feels like when my anxiety sort of settles in on my body. And I was hoping that, Mm -hmm. that all of those stories just might make this work a little more tangible for people. Mm -hmm. The reality is that, As an indigenous woman, I talk about this, that colonization has disembodied us from the land, from ourselves, from Mother Earth. And so any human, our work is to uh, become embodied again, to heal. And a lot of that does have to do with connecting back to the earth, connecting back to our child selves, Mm -hmm. you know, going through these deep processes of grief. It's not easy. Um, Self-love is not easy. And I... Um, I reflect this beautiful book. Um, it's a book on coming home by um, mm-hmm. the author is Najwa Zabian. And she is mm-hmm. a beautiful, beautiful writer. And her book is about these ideas of coming home to ourselves. And she writes about this room of self-love versus a room of self-hate. Which mm-hmm. room are we entering daily? And, yeah. and we have to come to a point where we decide not to keep entering that, that self-hate room, but to, to create a different room. And I thought that was just such a beautiful imagining these these rooms inside ourselves yeah. that we're entering into daily. What a beautiful way to describe that. Yeah. Um, you know, I I even touch on I touch on deconstruction a little bit because mm-hmm. a lot of us have come. Maybe it's just your family, or maybe it's a religious institution. Um, whatever it is, a lot of us have come out of traumatic experiences where we weren't fully loved. And I wanted to touch on that, um, that self-love is also sometimes leaving those spaces and finding new community and asking who God is in a very different way. And I hope that people feel safe in some of those stories and, Mm -hmm. and have space to ask what self-love means for them.
0: It's so interesting when, you know, when you think about the rooms that you just, you know, that, that, um, the author describes, and I'll link to that in the, in the show notes as well. Um, because also thinking about our child selves, right. And reparenting and self-love, mm-hmm. I don't recall a time until it was years of learning it, that I entered the room of self-hate as a child. Mm-hmm. I, 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 that would have been a foreign concept because it was, there was so much, just thinking about my childhood. Um, I had a very blessed Uh, childhood things got harder as I (laughs) became an adult, but, um, but there's so much light in my eyes. When I picture my child self, Mm -hmm. there's just light and fun and creativity and curiosity um, and all these things. And I, and I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have occurred to me um, that a room of self-hate even lived within me. Um, And, and that, that room I constructed and the, and society constructed over time. Um, and so it's a sweet way of reparenting, which is something we talk about a lot through various themes on this podcast to reparent ourselves and our child selves to say like, we don't even have to, that room doesn't have to live here. It didn't always exist here. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's so beautiful. And you're exactly right. Self-love is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) It's not the easy road. No, it's not. Yeah. Um, so uh, this was in, um, I believe this was in the communal realm, the ethics as resistance. Uh, this, I have seen you talk a little bit about on social media as you were sort of um, promoting the book, and I, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to talk to her <laughs> about this. So talking about ethics as resistance, um, namely in the way we think about um, and engage with yoga. and wellness. Um, So you write in the book, ethical resistance means paying attention to the many ways our institutions, medical, religious, fitness, social, tell fat bodies, transgender bodies, disabled bodies, short bodies, and black and brown bodies that they are not enough. Mm -hmm. I I almost fell out of my chair. This is so (laughs) profound. And I wonder if you could just talk about sort of what you mean by this then, and, and then what it looks like to engage these spaces then ethically, if that is something that someone, you know, chooses to do and yes. with an eye toward, toward resistance and liberation.
1: Yes. Um, I was um, adamant <laughs> to talk <laughs> about this because, yeah. you know, so it all stemmed from in my, so for my personal life, this mm-hmm. stemmed from uh, like five years ago, I wanted to attend a yoga class um, at my local gym in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. and I went to one, and it was just really lacking in any grounding of what yoga is Uh in its its origin story, in its cultural story, and in the spirituality of it even, and I was really Mm -hmm. frustrated. It was also this, like, I write in the book, I think it was this weird mix of, like, instrumental music, but then like native flutes, it's always like strange, you know? And I I was just feeling like this didn't feel right. This, Mm -hmm. this felt off and it didn't feel right. And so, um, I never went back to that class. And then that was one of the first times I posted about yoga. And of course, a lot of white yoga lovers got really angry with me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wasn't, Saying you can't do yoga, I was just naming a really weird thing that I thought was sure. a problem. <laughs> and then yeah. um, years later, now there's incredible yoga teachers on Instagram that I follow. Um, mm-hmm. So Susanna um, Barkataki is one of them. She has an incredible book about decolonizing yoga, and um, there's um, there's I'm multiple take notes here. Susanna, yeah. um, there are multiple. Um, yoga accounts mm-hmm. that are you know BIPOC that are that are all sorts of bodies that are queer queer people like yeah. decolonizing yoga right yeah. trying to speak to this and so this was just because I had seen it because I started learning from these incredible teachers I knew that I needed to mm-hmm. um, keep paying attention and that I needed to say something um and yeah. saying it in my book I knew I wanted to write about like appropriation and some of these things but I didn't wanted to just be from an indigenous lens. I wanted to talk about it in a bigger sense. And so the wellness world is a great place to start. (laughs) Um, And when we talk about whose bodies are allowed in those spaces and whose Uh bodies are not, you know, yoga spaces are like skinny white bodies and a whole lot of yoga products. And it has lost the essence of what yoga is. Uh And there are so many incredible teachers that we should be learning from. And so yeah. I, I just needed to talk about it. And so I wrote a chapter on the ethics of our resistance. And I thought, I hope, mm-hmm. I thought, I hope <laughs> <laughs> that when people read it, that, that idea of like, oh, the ethics of how we resist, like, it's not mm-hmm. about resisting always. It's also about how we're resisting. Yeah. Are we paying attention to how we are doing these things? Cause we, we can always have good
0: intentions and we can mm-hmm. still be harmful that's exactly right. I, first of all, I want to say, as someone who moves through the world in sort of a larger, softer body, that really meant a lot to me because um, I went from, in the in the reading of it, to, like, I want to be an ally here, to, oh, this is also talking about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and it really did mean – I have felt that kind of feeling of your body is not enough in this space. Yeah. Um, or, you know um, – a, a, a yoga class or even a Pilates class, you know, or something else that, that didn't like, they mentioned modifications as if like, you'll get there. You won't have to need yeah. these modifications eventually. Cause you'll, you know, um, your, your body will, will become smaller and become good enough to, right. to fit in our, uh, within our curriculum and things like that. And so, first of all, I just want to say thank you for, for mentioning that. Another, um, it just reminded me the first time I thought about ethics as resistance was when I was reading Rachel Held Evans book, a year of biblical womanhood. Mm. And she talked about where she like, what brand of coffee she was buying. Okay. I don't know if you've read yeah. it, but she was talking about like, um, because of the child labor and child slavery and, and some of the just horrific ethical issues that some of these big name coffee, um, makers or coffee manufacturers um employ especially over in africa and how like the supply chain matters right what's happening in the supply chain matters and um and so it's you're writing in this chapter i just want to say reminded me of yeah. that that like it's not just the thing you're doing you can go into it with great intent and you right. can even be someone who practices decolonization and as the best you can you know in your world um but then the environments you enter in, the products you buy, things like that um, yeah. also matter. And your your chapter, um, I felt like really, really honed in. And not in a shaming way where like life becomes so difficult, you can't possibly move through it. Right. And that's what <laughs> yeah. I was about to
1: say. Like, this is yeah. not to shame people out of doing yoga or, you know, learning about other cultures or yeah. like there. But but let's always ask, how is my resistance even even grounded in, in passion and justice and wanting to end oppression, whatever it is, let's Mm -hmm. just make sure we're doing it in a way that honors the cultures around us, the origin stories around us. And I thought yoga was just such a perfect portal for that. And for me to say something and, um, and I, I hope yes, that it doesn't shame people out of even trying, but that it helps them enter deeper into this beautiful conversation, these beautiful possibilities. I want us Mm -hmm. to like, see resistance as something exciting. Like, we're yeah. we're getting to be better humans with each other. That's a yeah. lovely thing,
0: right? <laughs> it's a lovely thing. I wish you guys could see Caitlin's face when she's talking about this. I can tell it's something that you're not just passionate about, but joyful about. Yeah. And sometimes resistance feels uh, like you have to be angry to yeah. engage in it. And Which so is... to see the joy in your face as you're talking about it really is, it's sort of a reset on what resistance even can look like in a, in the day-to-day.
1: Yeah. And even the cover of the the book I said, I, I don't, I, while I absolutely love a raised fist, I wanted the cover <laughs> of this book to have something softer mm-hmm. to pull people in or to be curious. Like, why is there a book on resistance and it looks soft? Or mm-hmm. what is, what is this? Why, why did, why was this chosen? That's odd. You know, to even yeah. spark some curiosity or
0: discomfort in thinking mm-hmm. of resistance in a different way made me really excited. So yeah. I love that. So, um, I feel feel like our time is flying by. The last thing I want to specifically talk to you about in this conversation is solidarity work as resistance. Um, I want to situate myself as I say this as a a white woman of English and and Western European colonizers and settlers. And, um, and so I am going to, I'm not going to say this is easy for them to slip into. I'm going to say this is easy for me to sometimes slip into. But if, I want you to, if you can, describe solidarity and what you mean by solidarity work. But, but I was struck by throughout your book, you reference how, like, that sometimes our resistance can become performative. Yeah. Um, and so I want to talk about, like, ways that we can we can hopefully divert that we can hopefully um, uh, arrest it in the process of, um, of becoming performative. So first, if you would um, tell us what you mean by solidarity work as resistance.
1: Yes. I'm actually going to go to my book right now and read you a little bit just so that, yeah. here we go. Okay. Um, just to give you a definition, cause I love those. And so Please. I should read what I wrote. <laughs> um, let's see here. It's so- a really good book. <laughs> um let's consider what solidarity is where it comes from the word originally came from latin meaning sturdy firm or undivided and then like many words it found its way to the english language where it now means unity as of a group or class that produces or is based in community of interests objectives and standards Mm -hmm. so resistance is directly tied to embodying solidarity to resist the status quo of hate oppression or injustice we must be clear about what our solidarity is grounded in. What are the objectives and the standards that we are holding ourselves and each other to? So that's just a little yeah. bit of what I wrote. And solidarity, um, I write a lot about, um, you know, like how we are connected to one another. Like there's this string connecting our bodies to each other. Mm-hmm. I write, I think I write about that when I talk about kinship or... Mm-hmm we don't get to look away from each other or that whole idea of like, I'm not whole until you are whole. I'm not free until you are free. Um, that's such a beautiful and terrifying idea. And I Uh think that what often happens in any of this kind of work is that we want to, we want to practice solidarity and then we want to rush it. We want to like get to the answers really quick and we burn Uh out. That's what happens. You know? Um, yeah, we panic and we say, God, I want to be part of this movement. Um, and then we burn out. And I think that that, I think that that is the point where it can become performative. Um, Mm -hmm. that we're kind of, we kind of want to keep the facade up that, yes, we're doing the work, we're doing the work, but we're really like completely burned out and we don't know how to fix that. And we don't know where to start. And we're not really feeling like we're connecting. Um, of course there are layers of privilege, right? That there are in solidarity, some of us are asked to give up some of our privilege. Some of us are asked to step into spaces that are uncomfortable for us, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's always gonna be important. Um, Understanding in our solidarity moments that our society honors solidarity in some people and not others. Like I write about how we treat white activists versus activists that are not white. You know, like how, um, how they are treated, the differences in those things. So what I would say to people as we're entering into this idea of solidarity, Mm -hmm. we're asking what is the core of our connection with one another? Why do we care? Mm. Do you care about indigenous rights? Then join me. Do you care? Do you really believe that Black Lives Matter? Then join me. Do you really care about trans kids? Then join us in these movements. Um, And don't burn out. Like like trust your body. Trust yourself. I think the other Mm. problem that we run into is that we want to do all the things. We want to we want to be an ally in everything and, and we should care about everything, but also Uh slow down a little and choose the things that you're going to step into fully for this moment. Uh And that can change. That doesn't mean you're, um, dropping one and saying, okay, I don't care about this. Now I'm going to care about this. But when we try to, um, fight hard in every single issue, yeah. We're going to burn out and we're going to not do the work well. So choose yeah. the things that you want to enter into. You know, like choose those uh-huh. spaces of solidarity carefully where you can best use your gifts, where you can best use your your privilege, your mm-hmm. power, your resources and lean into those spaces cuz that's where that's where work is going to get done. That's where resistance
0: will happen, you know? It's, the, it's something I think you do well. You talk a, a lot on your, um, about like, so taking social media breaks or rest yeah. for your body or, yeah. um, even whenever I was, I was talking to your publisher about scheduling this interview and they were like, she's going to do a certain amount of, of, you know, promotion and stuff for this. And, and I was like, yes, that's <laughs> like, t- that's yeah. it. <laughs> Like, yeah. Even if she says no, I get it, and I actually support it I because love that. the um, because I, I but I don't I don't consider you in those moments where you're quieter or you know pulled back into your rest or or hibernation or you know whatever it may be as moments you're not an activist or right. as moments that you care less about this or right. that your your effectiveness is less in the world somehow <laughs> right um, because you have to right. You have yes. to do this. You have to rest in order to continue the work. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so, I guess sort of the last little thing I want to I want to ask you about that is um, for for those of us who. just uh, so let me give you an example, right quick. So. Um, as a woman, there's times where, especially in theological conversations, Mm -hmm. I feel like I've been a marginalized voice. So I'm going to speak up here about whatever the topic is. And I'm going to give my two cents. There's been a lot of um, hoopla on the internet recently about a horrific article and book that um, was harmful to women and to ideas about sex and sexuality and stuff. And so I thought maybe I'll, you know, I'll speak up and stuff. And then But you find that like, especially in in my case, there are women of color, there are people at at, at even further intersections of um, marginalization by the dominant groups, uh, queer people. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for example, in the summer of 2020, um, I saw a lot of white women pointing to women of color and sharing their like, here's my platform, take it over. Um, and you talk to, because you've already been doing this work. And so, right. um, and I, I, the, so that's sort of why I'm asking this is how solidarity works in the day to day, like in the small moments right? and in the really big moments, the summer yeah. of 2020 was a really big moment. And I think a lot of people did, you know, got some of that right, um, in sharing their platforms and in pointing to voices that had already been doing the work and, and that weren't being as elevated and listened to, uh, right. but should have been. And so how does that look in the smaller, in the day-to-day mm-hmm. moments of solidarity work?
1: Well, I know for me, um, as an Indigenous person, and I've heard other people say this too, that people will show up when things are really loud and then they disappear when things are quiet, mm-hmm. you know, quiet, like like yeah. they're ever quiet. But they, <laughs> when there's yeah. not something big happening in the news or things aren't being covered where are those allies? Where are those people? Um, and also like solidarity means also leaning into the celebrations. It means buying our books. Mm -hmm. It means like, it doesn't just have to be when there's something horrible happening in the news, but like Mm. support us every day because we're here, (laughs) you know, um, step into those spaces, like celebrate us when things Mm -hmm. are amazing and, and share those things too. I think it's like, um, when they're, I write about this, when they're all the, these months for different people, like, Yeah, huh, like all the months that celebrate different people groups, mm-hmm. were those created with good intentions, of course, and they can be amazing, but yeah. they can also be like a month to be like, here's all the trauma, here's all the trauma of this people yeah. group, and we're going to post about it every day, and um, I know yeah. for me in in November, that gets so exhausting, and so yeah. to know that I have friends, that I have people on social media, I will never meet mm-hmm. in person, But I, but I've been able to get to know who just celebrate me at random times. That feels Mm -hmm. so good. It feels like, oh, that person is in my corner. And when something goes to shit, I know that person will care because they've already cared about my daily life as well. You know? yeah, Just my normal life. And that means a lot to me. Yeah.
0: That's great. That's a really great. A bite size. It reminds me of your um, resistance commitments, like at the end of the yeah. chapter, some little just bite size or digestible or yes. first steps things that we can do. Um, and and you also you mentioned recently, like if I'm the only Indigenous person that you're listening to, yes, um, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like you you need more Indigenous voices. Yes. And so when when this episode airs, I will share that post to my Instagram stories and perfect and create a. Um, a highlight reel about it so that people can see who you tagged in that and say, you know, here's, here are some more voices. Yes. yes that um, would be great. That is, that is mm-hmm. one of my greatest fears is mm-hmm. that someone's
1: going to pick up my book and they're going to read it. And then they're going to be like, I read an indigenous person. So now anytime someone asks me, I'm going to give them Caitlin's opinion mm-hmm. and I'm going to call it good. And I'm like, please like read as many different indigenous voices are, are, nations are diverse. Our cultures are diverse. Our religious ideals are diverse. Um, Mm -hmm. our experiences are so diverse. Like you, please don't let me be the only indigenous person you read. Please read, um, voices that are far different from mine and, you know, and, um, respect those voices and let them shape you. I hope, I hope that that, that all these people I quote in my books is for a reason so that you'll go read their books.
0: That's great. Um, as we wrap up, can you tell people, tell people where they can find you, your website, your links, your socials, all of that? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm
1: definitely on Instagram a lot. And so that's where I am mostly as far as social media goes. Of course, Uh you can check out everything on my website, CaitlinCurtis.com. And then I also have the Liminality Journal, which is my sub stack. And that is a great place. If you want to stay connected yes. with me and get news and I don't know, explore poetry with me. That's uh, what I love to do there. So yeah. I would love to see you in that space.
0: Okay. That was my conversation with the wise wonderful Caitlin Curtis. I mentioned in the last episode, but I'm going to repeat this a couple more times just to make sure listeners are aware of this. Um, I want to note a minor change in the format of this podcast. Right now is the time when we would normally do the section on why this matters. Um, And as I have considered various aspects of this show, my hope is that That question is answered within the interview or conversation with my guest. My hope is that by the time we get to this point in the show, you already know why this matters to me and hopefully to a wider range of people and are considering if and why it matters to you and what you'll do about that. So I won't be doing my own version of this section anymore, but I do hope you will take some time after each episode plays to consider the things that were compelling to you or surprising, or convicting, or energizing, or comforting. I also hope you'll share these episodes with your people and discuss them amongst yourselves, or online, or just between you and God. My thanks again to Caitlin for joining me today. You can find her on, on Twitter and Instagram at Caitlin Curtis. That's C-U-R-T-I-C-E, and Caitlin is K-A-I-T-L-I-N. Her substack is CaitlinCurtis.substack.com, or her website is CaitlinCurtis.com. I will link to all of these in the show notes. Uh, I have also linked to a few of the additional resources, authors, um, and work that Caitlin and I mention in this conversation. Those will be linked in the show notes as well. Join me next week as we continue to make space for, honor, and name what matters. And now, according to our little tradition, as we close out, I offer you this benediction. Found in Caitlin Curtis's first book, Native, on page 146. There is a path outside the doors of the church halls or the parish home. There is a path that leads to God. There is a room, a sanctuary of limbs and boughs, with a choir of nightingales in the oak loft. There are pews carved by the bodies of lone elms, fallen, brown, ready for you. There is a sermon told in the wind as she blows by your face, a sermon in the heartbeat of the earth. There is a path, a path that leads to God. Faces of stones and dirt, old enough to tell us stories about the long ago ones. Those worshiping people found sanctuary and pew and choir and sermon among the woodlands in the plains at the peak of a mountain, next to the daisies and the mild waters. They found the path, and they knew God. May it be also for you. Amen.